What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hardcore Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace. And my name is Tyler Short. And we are not watching the Super Bowl tonight because for me, it reminds me of the fact that I haven't gotten to watch any football other than at a CMI show in Lexington. I watched a little bit while at the bar while a death metal band played because I never have Sundays off or um, Mondays off. Did you used to like football? I used to watch it with my dad every week. Oh, no shit. And then COVID happened and that broke our tradition. Yeah. Um, mostly because in, in football still happened, but I was like so... I was so convinced it was all going to go away mm. the second I was invested. And then they managed to limp through that entire season of during COVID without having like a week that got completely canceled. Yeah. But at that time, like you couldn't go to bars. So that was me and my dad's like move was we'd go to bars. He'd have a beer. I'd have wings um and uh yeah so that just it fell out and then when football came back i was busy and too busy to make time for my dad one day a week so the dude. super bowl just reminds me of how little i see my dad now damn dude this is like cats in the cradle and silver spoon you know that yeah. song man no exactly <laughs> yeah um but yeah, meanwhile, you uh, well, you before we got on here watched Ursher, and while you're watching yeah. Ursher, I watched I got I just got a Scientology commercial on YouTube. On you, dude, your what? algorithm is all kinds of jacked. But yeah, I, no, I turned an ad, an ad, an ad. Well, yeah, because they they clearly using whatever proprietary algorithm they have are like this guy's a good candidate. We got to show him this. How are they thinking they can get away with advertising for their cult? They do it all the time. But well, they like, do. It, they do it on the street too. They're just like, "Do you want to take a personality test?" Yeah, but like everybody knows now. They don't, man. I wish they did, but they don't. I feel like so many people know now. Everybody in my um, work knows. People I don't. Uh, I don't even think about that. I'd be like, "Where's Shelly?" And I'm like, "Yes, that's true." Exactly. It is it because of all the the shows and what's what's her name that got out from uh, Leah Remini? Leah Remini. Yeah, it was powerful stuff, man. They're fucked. But listen, I I used to watch a lot of football. I was a I was a pretty diehard uh, New Orleans Saints fan, and like the NFL just became unbearable over time for me. You know what I mean? Any too woke? Yeah, that's what it was when I saw <laughs> when I saw those fellas kneeling and disrespecting our. Yeah, flag, I'm actually not watching thought, because of because of Pfizer and Bud Light and uh, yeah. because of the Taylor Swift psyop. That's why I'm not watching the Super Bowl. It's so funny because I'm like, <laughs> we both come, to, me and those people both come to the same conclusion that we don't want to watch the NFL anymore. But we took very different routes to get there. Um, no, I think for me it was like. I would always, you know, the fucking head injury stuff and, and, and all that. And then like the way Kaepernick got treated and it was also seeing like, it was clearly collusion between the owners because of the amount mm -hmm. of times I saw a team that was clearly in need of a quarterback run out some like third string dude who had no business playing professional football because while well, Kaepernick was like in shape, healthy, mm -hmm. ready to go. Or running out people <clears throat> who have been playing for, God yeah. knows how long and are just like, yeah, just let them quit. Let them yeah. retire. So like I had just, and it's, then over time it just becomes like, ah, uh, I, I watch every game and then it's like, 
okay, I watch highlights. And then it's like, oh, I'll watch them if they're like the Sunday night game. You know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. over time, I'm like, I just don't watch it anymore. Yeah, um, you see, I'd yeah. be a hypocrite if I said I cared about the head injury stuff. Um, well, at least you participate too in your own. Those are my state. people. Yeah, right. Um, that's my community. <laughs> <laughs> the head injury community. The the risky behavior community. Um, but, they're getting uh, compensated a little bit better than you are for it, I'd say, though. I don't remember, but yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell the most important thing here, man. So I'm sorry that the Super Bowl makes you sad. I don't know what was going San Francisco was winning at the half. That's all I know. I saw that. Uh, Usher's halftime show. Fucking killer, man. Bananas? Great. Yeah. I mean, you know, they always go all out, but like Alicia Keys, Ludacris, Lil John, like he, he brought out everybody. And you know who stole the show for me? Guitar Dork. Her. H-E-R. Like if anybody's ever heard of her, this like badass young guitar player. She came out and just like, you know, rips a fucking 30 second solo and then like recedes back in because i'm just like dude it's amazing that they rehearsed for like an entire year for this like 10 minutes but it was yeah, like no, it's so pretty well cool. coordinated yeah prince is still my all-time favorite halftime show um even over like springsteen tom petty some of the great ones the but, springsteen one was great though yeah it, i mean it was great but i prince is still my number one you know what was sick did you watch the justin timberlake one i did that one yeah. was awesome. The way he went back through the like he went into the stands and like yeah, like went through the the like the hallway area and whatnot and like back into like the the people's sections they had like marked off for it. That was pretty, pretty crazy. They the, the camera work for that, I was impressed. Dude, he could I have love, tripped. He could have. I love I love a performer. Mm -hmm. Um I love and then just it's a fucking feat, man. It was impressive. Um, dude, a lot's happened since we last talked. Yeah, we were supposed to in the world. put this episode out last <clears throat> week, but you, uh, your throat closed up on you. Dude, I, guess. I had a little ER visit. This is the second time in my life this has happened. <clears throat> and I'm worried that I'm going to actually have a follow-up appointment tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> and a peritonsular abscess. Do you have your tonsils, Tyler? I do. Yeah, I do too. And they're fucking huge. Like every time I've had to go to a doctor for the past like several years, you know, like I got strep throat, like whatever. Mm -hmm. They look in there and they're like, damn, you have big tonsils. Um, and I'm like, well, thanks. Um, no, they just take up a lot of space. And it means also they like catch a lot of shit, right? Mm -hmm. So I get what feels like a sore throat, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> go to urgent care because I'm like, if it's strep, I just want the antibiotics in and mm -hmm. out. Fine. It's still getting worse. But in addition to it just being like a bad sore throat, now I'm like literally feeling my tonsils like swelling to the point where even like drinking water is becoming like a task. And I'm like, my shit's all swollen up. So by that time I had, yeah, it was, I guess the night before, we're supposed to record again. <clears throat> Russian was like, you got to go to the ER, man. And as much as I didn't want to, I was finally like, yeah, something's wrong, you know? Um, and it just, you know, it was a lot of waiting around to find out what I knew, which is there was a fucking abscess growing on there. And the way they take care of it is they fucking stick a needle down your throat and drain that shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, disgusting, but the relief is almost immediate. 
like That's sick. once they get that out of there. And then obviously a lot of antibiotics and shit because there's a very high risk of infection. And also um, it was still very swollen. So I still, for about three, four days after, sounded like I had a golf ball in my throat, even though I like felt much better. Um, so yeah, that happened. Um, and you know, who knows, maybe I'm about to grown man in my forties about to have to get my tonsils out, but an adult getting your tonsils out. Like that's like the, an adult getting braces. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Dude, I was sick, dude. I'm going to like fucking take a week off work, eat popsicles. Dude, I've heard it's uh, a lot more painful for adults. Oh actually. yeah. That's why they typically try to do it when you're little. It's like a yeah. uh, chicken pox. Uh, I got a story time. So I used to get strep like on the fucking, like, like it was like on running on like a schedule in elementary school. Mm. I was like, Oh, two and a half months have gone by time to get strep again. Um, I got strep so many times. They were like, you, you, my pediatrician said you in here one more time taking those fuckers out. Yeah. Then I didn't get strep again for like eight years. Um, so they, Scared by that point, I, that point I wasn't seeing a pediatrician anymore. Um, and so I was not, I was a skinny little fucker and uh like me putting on muscle and working out when I was in my early 20s was like shocking to my friends mm. because when I started working out I like without even lifting weights just doing like push-ups and pull-ups I put on 40 pounds of muscle doing that that's how skinny I was damn um I was a stick so imagine me in the ninth grade i'm even fucking smaller i'm like 125 pounds in the ninth grade and i uh and i'm about the same height i am now like mm. five ten maybe five nine i like i maybe grew two inches in high school but uh yeah so i get tonsillitis ninth grade my throat swells to probably about the point you were because drinking water hurt uh, I couldn't eat, couldn't eat solid food. It just, yeah. it wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. I was sick and out of school for, I think, three weeks. Whoa. The only thing that I lived on were chocolate shakes from Grater's, which any listeners in Louisville or Cincinnati will know that Grater's ice cream is just the fucking bomb. But my mom would bring me chocolate milkshakes and that was about my only sustenance. I, I did that and chicken broth. That was the only thing I got in. I lost 30 fucking pounds. Dude. I weighed 125 pounds. I lost 30 pounds. Dude, that's wild. Yeah. I was 95 pounds when Skin I got when I was done being sick and was able to start eating again. And I'd maybe put like five or 10 back on when uh, Mark Johnson, the uh, professional skateboarder for Enjoy, did a, uh, he did a demo at the skate park that I skated for and none of my skateboard friends had seen me for like a month. So that I come back, I look like I've walked out of Auschwitz and, uh, Jeez. I tried <laughs> to skate around a little bit and I was like, Oh damn, I, I feel like real tired right now. Just even just rolling around. And then after like 20 minutes of rolling around, I like did a 50 50 on the grind box. And when I landed, I like, like, um, I like compressed to like, like catch the, you know, to soften the, the landing off the foot and a half grind box. And then I could not get back up. I like sunk down to my board, like to catch the, the impact 
And then I just rolled until I hit a wall. <laughs> Dude. Because I couldn't stand back up to get off my board. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. My legs had no fucking strength. That's um, not a good feeling, man. Yeah. Ooh. So that was a pretty crazy thing. I don't think I've ever told that story before. Wow. Well, <laughs> damn. I appreciate you sharing. And I'm glad uh, I'm glad you've gotten over that <clears throat> pretty intense period in your life. Yeah, if it tells you anything about I I probably lost like you know four pounds last week and then gained it back in one day. Mm-hmm. Um so no no harm, no foul. I'm already Old back. man metabolism Old, shit. Yeah, dude. Right back to fighting weight as soon as I could eat again. <laughs> like because yeah, I probably went three days without solid food. Like I was saying, I was drinking broth and like, I think I had a smoothie one day, but even that was like too much. And then as soon as I could fucking swallow without pain again, I just, you know, ate like a dumbass immediately started making up for it. So that's, that's what we up. do. That's dad's strength, man. So um, the, we're, we're, we're going to finish this wire conversation today. We're going to. Yes. We're going to do that. But I heard about something recently and I, it's connected to our conversation last week about our buddy Ben and his rap career. Okay. There's a different television show that is in development that I found out about that I just need to share with you if you have not heard about it otherwise. And I want to start this by telling you and coming out of the closet, so to speak, that when I was in my early 20s, I was a libertarian. Okay. When I was in my early 20s, I was a dumbass. Um, so, but because of me having this, this in, in, in fact, if you really asked me, impressed me on my libertarian values, I was just a liberal. Like, because I would have told you all the different things that like, you know, like, you know, government should be out of people's business, but like, you know, gay marriage, all that, you know, women, equal rights, all that stuff, you know fine and dandy, but like, I didn't think the government had a place, blah, blah, blah. I was an idiot. Um, I mean, I still don't think the government should have, but it's from a whole different reason now. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't read. I've never read really until post COVID really. I've like started reading more than like a comic book, like once a year. Um, uh, so when I was in high school, I basically, up until the age of 20, I'd read two books. I'd read Jurassic Park like three or four times Sick. every time, under, understanding it a little bit more. I'll tell you, Michael Crichton, um, maybe like a crank, like Dude. global warming den- denier or whatever. He read a book. He's it's a fucking great book. I read several Crichton books, all very good. Um, sucks he lost his mind, but uh, I'd read Jurassic Park and then I took... At one point, I would show up late to school so often that I would get sent to ISAP um, for like a week. And one of those weeks, I took the autobiography of Malcolm X from the ISAP room, and I read that. It was captivating. Um, Converted to Islam. Well, I understood uh, the difference (laughs) after reading that book. I'm like, I'm looking at my copy literally right now. That's amazing. Yeah, I need I want to I want to pick up another copy just to have because there's some like hard ass lines in the autobiography of of Malcolm X. Um, So anyway, so because that that was the uh, that was the same copy I I had. Um, So those are the only books I ever read. So when I'm thinking that I'm a libertarian, 
I still didn't know who Ayn Rand was uh. at all. And I was so like non-political just because I was like, you know, running around with my flip phone, didn't have a computer, didn't have internet. Like I, I, I was living through osmosis. Um, it wasn't until a few months ago that I ever found out what the plot of Atlas Shrugged is. Oh, it's so ridiculous. It is so stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the most infantile stories I've ever heard of in my whole life. It is incredibly stupid. I also didn't really know what the Fountainhead was either um, until a, a, a shortly before that um, because I just needed to know and I looked into it. But I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about somebody who tried to make Gulch Gulch in real life and it, of course it didn't work out. Um, oh no, I'm so, so surprised. So, so shocked. Um, but fucking Daily Wire is developing an Atlas Shrugged television show. Of course and I they are. really wow. want to watch it. Dude, who, I'm, I'm just trying to think of who they're going to cast in this thing. It's, they're going to have to cast no-name people. There's no way anybody's going to sign on to do this. But what I've been watching that has been, I've texted you about that have been was rocking my brain because I was curious, I was like, does a, have they tried to do this in another medium? Hmm. And they did in the early 2010s. And Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black, of all people, is in the first one playing Tagney, what, 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 Cagney, whatever the fuck that I heard the name yeah, said a million yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. What, the main, the main bitch um, plays her in the first one, but then they recast her in, there's, it's three parts and every, part no one returns to reprise their role for the second part or the third wow. part it's amazing That's amazing so i fell in a hole watching like an hour long breakdown the last two days i had watched it in two sittings because it was just so stupid and i was too tired to finish it last night um but yeah i just had to share that with you that i wanted to see the look on your face when i said that the daily wire was making an atlas shrugged uh television show it didn't disappoint God, no. Oh, they apparently they got John Polito to be in that. The early, movie? Yeah. Atlas Shrugged. Oh, there's part, there's part some one. names. There's some names yeah. in it that like, I'm I like, have, oh, I guess that guy sucks. I have no <laughs> recollection for that. Oh, I'm just immediately like, the poor critical reception initially made Aguilaro reconsider his plans for the rest of the trilogy. It has a um, score of 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well done. Is, is this the first one? Um, yeah, the first. Can I just read you something? Because we've talked about Siskel and Ebert before. Yes. Here's Roger Ebert talking about uh, the the first Atlas Shrugged from about 13 years ago. Let's say you know the novel. You agree with Ayn Rand. You're an objectivist or a libertarian, and you've been eagerly awaiting for this movie. Man, you're going to get a letdown. It's not enough that a movie agree with you in however an incoherent and murky fashion. It would help if it were a little like, you know, entertaining. Dude, the the breakdown thing played so many parts where just people just give these just like it would make George Lucas blush. The lack of feeling and emotion in in some of this this line delivery. It is so funny. And it's awesome too because it just seems so on the nose and so like like I I I've heard I can't remember who it was I've heard said this but and I think it might have been about Ben Shapiro like if you really want to get to know somebody read their novel 
Because mm. when you when if you see what they can imagine, like a world when they are God, if it is like boring or stupid or infantile, that's them telling you who they really are and what they really think. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's beautiful. And that's why I, I mean, can't wait to see what they do with Atlas Shrugged. I really amazing, I actually yeah. might get Daily Wire Plus to watch it. Figure out how you can steal that somehow. Um no, it, it one that's amazing. I can always count on you to ruin my day. Um and just by even having to think about Ben Shapiro and all the things that he's up to. I mean, I'll give the man credit for this. He doesn't appear to ever fucking sleep. He's got 40 million projects and he's always all over the world doing something with his little gremlin energy. Um, but yeah, that like infantile is exactly how it, to me, that's always been how you boil down conservatism to its essence. And it's the whole world is just good guys and bad guys. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Instead of the, and so it's like, no wonder they don't fucking understand art. <laughs> <laughs> or like they don't understand like, complexity or like yeah how to craft a story because like in in real life and interesting characters are complex and contradictory and like filled with conf you know there's conflict and mm -hmm. we like have to work through it and sometimes we thought we were doing the right thing and then we realized we fucking weren't and like that kind of shit and that just doesn't compute to them at all so um this is very fun i'm very excited mm -hmm. i i love I love I love how uh how brave these people are being about their art and I really I'm interested <laughs> in what Angel Studios does. I'm interested in what all these people put out because I think that just like the novel, watch their movie or their adaptation of a TV series. You're, <laughs> just you're to so find right. out how boring and stupid they actually are. You're so Is, right. That dude, dude, go ahead. Well, just because you look at a movie like Starship Troopers that like clearly understood the subject matter. Yeah. And and Paul Verhoeven just like nails it to the point where if you even think and agree with the the ideals placed in front of you in Starship Troopers, you will still love it. Right. Exactly. Because even if you don't realize it's making fun of you, it's badass. Exactly. Like that. that yeah, right. Like on top of all of that, it's also fucking fun and entertaining, yeah. right? Like, and I think that's what Roger Ebert was trying to get at. It's like, you know, for, oh, for as much as two conservatives like complain about ideology being forced down their throats, that's actually what they're, you know, like mm -hmm. they don't know how to send a subtle message through a piece of art. All they know how to do is like hammer, hammer yeah. away. <clears throat> you said, tell you, tell you you're right for all the selfish feelings you've always had. Right. I can't, you, I just wanted to point out though, a minute ago, you gave me like the quote of the year, which was, I'm, <laughs> I'm so proud of how brave they're being with their art. That put, dude, put that on the movie poster. That's incredible. <laughs> well, speaking Yo, of. Well, before we get into a good television show to bring your, your mood up real quick. Did you see Bill Burr's wife gave Donald Trump the finger at the UFC fight the other day? I did see that. I think and that was Bill Burr stood by his gal. Yeah. Which damn right. Yeah. Bill Burr is a good yeah. guy. Yeah. Bill, Bill Burr is a good guy. Bill complicated people. I don't love everything he says, but I don't think he's a piece of shit. Nope. And I think, you know, um, and he refuses to be put into whatever box folks who hear him 
would have. Nope. And his Philadelphia rant is still one of my favorite things of all time. It's, um, it's, it, he is he hates that that, that happened apparently yeah. and because it gets brought up to him in every interview he's I'm he sure. does to this day but uh it's still pretty awesome it's one it's just one of the most you won them over with hate <laughs> it was perfect i wanted to the first time perfect world played in philly i wanted to come out to part of that dude that would have been <laughs> unreal chad was like we should, i was like let's wait until like people like us some, somebody <laughs> knows who we are and will vouch for us later we made friends with bob and i'm like okay now can we do um <laughs> so speaking of conflicted people before we jump into the wire just the last thing this is our first time recording since uh toby keith passed away um and and just in the spirit of everything that we fucking talk about wanted to acknowledge that because a toby was a really fucking talented musician and b he had just some like very contradictory or or seemingly contradictory strains in his ideology in his public persona or anything like most people are going to know him for all the shit he stirred up in the early 2000s when he put out courtesy of the red white and blue mm -hmm. the soldier cosplay etc there is a story that has not been verified but that i hope is true of chris christopherson reaming him the fuck out he know? told him uh he said something like uh you're you're doing to what to country music, what pantyhose did to finger fucking. <laughs> that is a that is a hell of a line. But yeah, so to you know, Chris Christopherson, an actual veteran and a leftist, yep. um, taking him to task for that. But also, like, people don't also realize like Toby Keith for much of his life was a union guy. Um, had very like up until getting in bed with the Bush administration, um, was very anti-Republican. And because he had seen through his time working in oil and um, like through like various labor and stuff like that, just the exploitation of the working class. And I was just always in his early days, there were some interviews like, you know, this should have been a cowboy times in the 90s mm -hmm. when he was just kind of a generic country star before he really made his name with the jingoistic patriot bullshit. Um, he gave some fucking incredible like thoughtful interviews about like, you know, like it's not just like I'm writing about rural working people. It's like, I understand their class struggle. Um, so he was a complicated dude. Um, that doesn't, you know, excuse any of the stupid bullshit he said and did over the years, but, um, rest in peace, Toby, man, you wrote some bangers. Yeah, I mean, he wrote bangers. Uh, <laughs> even, even, even if you you disagree with the the subject matter, it's at least I ironically funny if you, dude, if you don't agree with it. A I've, again, like we said, you know what? Sometimes people can create right wing art, dude, and it is I was about still, to say, so good. <laughs> I covered um, at a open mic at college. I I did a cover of uh, "Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue" one time, just as like a a fucking lark. Yeah. Um, but I tell you what, by the end of it, people were feeling it. <laughs> I think most people knew that it was a joke, mm -hmm. but, but if they didn't, you know, um, hell yeah. And uh, it's funny to be a little bitch sometimes. I know. Yeah. Dude, as good as I once was, great song. Should have been a cowboy. Should have been a cowboy is a great one. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, and 
just like, and then we really got to get to the wire. I know I'm delaying things, but fucking Mojo Nixon, man, died on a boat with Steve this yeah. last week. Yeah, you were, you were like, how many, uh, it's crazy how often, what do they do with the body? Just put it in the refrigerator. <laughs> this is all new because apparently it is just like pretty, somebody dies like every cruise basically. I think they um, have like a, a, like a morgue on cruise ships yeah. typically to deal with. I found that out happens. after we talked. Yeah. Um, cruise ships are big. I'm going from, on from a, a morgue. Because in a few weeks, I'm going on my first cruise ever. We're going for Rachna's birthday. Like, this is what she wanted. And I'm simultaneously, like, I'm, I'm stoked to have a vacation. But I'm also, like, weirded out by it at the same time. So you're, you're going to be getting on the cruise looking around, like, which of you aren't going to make it up? Somebody, I was like, dude, there's 5,000 <laughs> people getting on here. Statistically, at least a couple of you aren't coming back. Um, so it's dark. What, he died on that cruise, on the Outlaw Country cruise. A dude died on the cruise with Hatebreed a few weeks ago. Yeah. What's going on here, man? I don't know. I got to be careful on that boat. Um, anyway. Cruises are a great place, way to kill somebody, too, and, and make it look like an accident. That's apparently. true. And I'll keep that in mind. Um, yeah, sleep with one eye open, man. Maybe Rajna wanted you to go on this birthday cruise for a reason. All right. Um, Tyler, this is our third and final installment of talking about The Wire. So we're going to be. wrap up season four, do season five, and then kind of bring the whole thing home. And for those of you who have been loving this, thank you. We're glad you enjoyed it and are, have been with us. If you, if it hasn't been your favorite thing, fret not. We're going to be back to music sooner than you think. Um, where should we pick back up, man? We stopped at talking about Bunny and Parenti in season four. This is how we were going to close out the season four talk of our characters. And then we'll we'll get sad talking about Waylon and Bubbles before we get into season five. Yeah, man. <clears throat> um. So, yeah, I think my thing with all of the adults in the school, and I mean, I think that would include Prez, who we've talked mm -hmm. about. That would include Grace Sampson who we've talked about. Um, I think the reason that Bunny and Dr. David Parenti stick out to me in season four is the whole like, okay, we're going to get corner kids. We're going to like try out this new program and something like that. I, I feel like I've often encountered when I've when this has happened like in the Bronx and schools that I've worked in um, or been in proximity to, that there's this combination of like somebody that has real skin in the game, like is from the neighborhood, things like that, and that's Bunny, mm -hmm. um, and then somebody who's there, and it's not that I'm questioning their commitment or whatever, but where it's much more of like an academic, like fascinating, yeah, like you know, kind of like safari. Right. Yeah. These are my, I'm studying these subjects and like mm -hmm. their culture and how they respond to challenges and, you know, like what pushes them to violence or like, et cetera, like those kinds of things. And um, I thought that was like an interesting dynamic there. Um, but yeah, I mean, just from a character's perspective, like for, for Colvin, 
his like place in the school running basically, you know, this like program or like special class with, um, with the corner kids is frankly just an, another version of him trying to find solutions for his people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Same as what Amsterdam was and just being like, mm -hmm. I, I'm just, I'm sick of seeing people get hurt and never even have a shot. Like, what can we do? Um, and for Parenti, there was almost just a little bit of like, he gives like legitimacy to the experiment because yeah. he represents like, you know, the, the Academy and things like that. Like, I don't think he's, he's not like a, he's a minor character. He's not a dislikable character, but I just thought that was like interesting that we even like interesting and also a realistic choice that you even have to have him there to be able to do something like this. Like, you know, cause otherwise it could have been like, well, me and, you know, the principal agree, like we should try to run a program for these kids. Uh, you need sponsorship from the University of Maryland to be like running this study or something like that for us to be able to, to do this. It, so. it kind of, um, well, to me, have you watched, uh, have you watched Insecure, the Issa Rae show on HBO? I have not, but I've heard it's good. So she starts out being a part of one of these like nonprofit, like after school programs going into underprivileged schools, trying to get kids engaged in like after school study groups and mm -hmm. different kinds of like things like that. And is frustrated with it because in some of the schools they can't get kids to come right? because they just want to go home or they want to go, you know, do there's, there's this lack of interest in like, I mean, to me, I think it's, it's really emblematic of what, like what I do currently right now with going to work and then I just come home. Mm -hmm. Like there are friends I could hit up to hang out with. I could, I could think to do that at times. My, uh, my store that I work at, they used to go out to the bar after work and, or there was like a bowling league. At one point there was a basketball squad for our union that would, get together and play like none of that stuff exists anymore. Yeah. We're just so atomized and we just, we go home. And to me, I think that's, th that is more what's happening in the, in the Issa Rae show where you have kids who just like, they go and they wall themselves off like they're going to when they're adults. Mm -hmm. um, very different in the wire where these kids then leave school and, are uh, heavily unsupervised yeah, and, out on the street. Yeah. Yeah. And being wild. Um, but again, like I think what the kids in the wire are doing is actually much more healthy than what kids are doing now. Um, at least they're like being with each other. Um, even if they're like, if they were being provided alternatives, like a funded sports program or a funded, like, community center that they could go to and spend time and not have to worry about you know michael's trying to make money so he can or it ends up trying to make money so he can have a place to live like you like all these kids get put in these very adult situations if you could keep the kids from being in the adult situations then maybe they wouldn't be out on the corners doing the doing the bad things and it's just it's yeah. funny though like because it feels very like 
infantilizing in one way to run a program like this, um, to treat the kids like they're different from the other ones. Like they just, but I see like how beneficial it can be to a when what you know Miss Samson notices. If I can get the if you can get the bad kids out, the other kids like can actually learn. Yeah, that's a factor. And that disrupt like just the idea of ending that disruption factor, but then like instead of just sending those kids to ISAP, like what would happen in my schools, mm. to have a separate place where you can send the disruptive students where they can learn on their own terms. Right. And it, have and be heard. <laughs> right. It's like a, a real program instead of just like segregation. Yeah. Right? Instead of go here and shut the fuck up. Right. Because I think that is often like the, the thing that's understated is like we often define it in terms of like these kids disrupt the classroom, which is true instead of though like flipping that on its head and being like this classroom paradigm does not work for these kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and actually, I mean, it's also a reality. It's a very small minority of kids, period, not even like poor kids from the inner city that that model of education actually works for the numbers show up for themselves. Even the kids that like show up every day and get good enough grades, like, you know, where, what is fucking school doing for them and what do they have to show for it? Like all the way through. So if anything, you know, it's like the, the kids who are disruptive are, I, I give this advice to educators all the time. Like, the kids that are super disruptive at least are doing you the fucking favor of telling you that something's not working mm -hmm. like right up front rather than, Oh, we were just chill for two months. And then like he failed the fucking test. Cause I realized he wasn't doing any of the work, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I was embarrassed. I didn't like, I, I didn't like myself with glasses on for a really long time, especially as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I mean, my last name was short, I, I was a skinny little fucker. Like I was short until the ninth grade when I grew to, you know, like five, nine or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was shorter than basically everybody until like seventh, eighth grade is when I started growing. So I really didn't like myself with glasses. I hated having to wear a uniform in middle school. So like in ninth grade, when I was able to not have to wear a uniform and, you know, just said, fuck it. I'm not going to wear my glasses. Like, I hate them. Depending on where I was sitting in class. Didn't see shit. Yeah. All the difference in my grades. Yeah. I was sitting up. If I was sitting up close, I was sitting up front. But I didn't want to admit that. So there was so often where I would just sit at class and not be able to see the board and just be like, well, well maybe I'll figure out the homework by look, looking at it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like there was just a lot. And and. And that meant that in order for me to learn, I had to be like hyper vigilant about yeah. like figuring it out myself. And I was very like practiced in my learning. Like once I learn it, I have to like repeat it a little bit and then I can, I can just run, you know, I can just run it back all day and, and, and do it. But when I have to get to that point of understanding before I can do it. And if I'm not able to get there, well, then I would just give up. Right. And imagine like, and that story is so common for so many people, man. Right. And then imagine if you like layered on top of that too, like you don't actually have a place to like chill and try to understand the homework, even if you, even if you wanted to, 
Yeah, right? it's time or to go to the like, next class. Yeah, like, or your, you know, home is on somebody's couch and there's like however many other people in the house or kids or whatever, and there's like no quiet place to do work even if you wanted to, right? Like, so I think, yeah, you put all that together and it's like, I, 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 <clears throat> I, I there's a lot of talking. I mean, God, we're just like dating myself, right? Because this is fucking 20 years ago, right? They were doing this and we've still barely come any further in terms of like making sure that schools are like adequately meeting the needs of students, not just academically, but also like socially, emotionally, every other way that matters. All the things that have to be true for you to be in a place to learn, right? All the stability that somebody needs and the confidence and security that somebody needs to be able to like, be like, all right, I want to try this, even if it's not the most interesting thing in the world to me. Um, so I, I think again, it's, it's for me, like a shout out to Bunny and his character, but also just to the, the authenticity with which, as we like kind of start to wrap up season four with which from my perspective, I can't speak for everyone, but from my perspective as an urban educator, <laughs> like mm -hmm. that I thought was one of the most realistic and humanizing depictions of the struggles of, of schools. Um, and that's you know one of the things that will always stick out to me for the entire show. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's awesome. I, one of the, one of my favorite things he brings to that season bunny that is, is when Renty is approaching him with this program and wanting to go and talk to these high school students. It's just so fucked up that he has to say, it's too old. Yeah. They're already gone at that point. Well, high school's too late, man. Yeah. You gotta you gotta catch him before he's like the kids the kids you're talking that you're talking about on the corners and whatnot, they never even made it to high school. Yep. And that's that part is so is so tragic. But I dude, I I think like legit, like talking about this program and whatnot i wish i had been i'm trying to think this this was coming out after i'd already graduated high school um but man if i could have seen something like this when i was in high school mm -hmm. to look at people getting like i got sent to isap for sleeping in class in the sophomore year like several times like they kicked me out of class and sent me a a Harvard a Harvard educated PhD teacher kicked me out of <sighs> English class and sent me to yeah. ISAP for sleeping during her class. Um and I'm just like like I don't wanna and, and this this is one thing that like I, I hate about like I the fact that I spend so much time just like thinking about all this shit and like thinking all the time about things like my brain is always fucking going is I don't want to ever feel like I think I'm smarter than other people. Mm -hmm. But now at 30, 35 years old, I know I'm smarter than some of the teachers that I had. Dude, I had so many fucking school. stupid teachers, man. Yeah, absolutely. Just for the sheer fact of how I communicate with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you can be smart as motherfucker, but like I can communicate with people so much fucking better. Like I have to do it all the time at my stupid dead end job. 
dude, there's a real, like, you know, you, you can't generalize about anything like a profession with this many millions of people in it. Right. But like, I, <clears throat> there's very little in the middle in my experiences. It, it often either tends to be like people who are like, way overqualified, like, you know, like love their students working their ass off. Or if like, would react so differently. Like if a kid is sleeping in class, instead of being like, get the fuck out would be like, what's going on? Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, would be like, can tell me, I mean, you need to talk. Like, what can I do to help? You know, those kind of things. Or just like the other side where it's like, how do you even fucking like tie your shoes in the morning? There's some people that are just so like inept that are, that are teaching all over and, and in all kinds of schools, right? This is not, yeah. Um, this is not unique to like poor working class public schools. I think what ends up happening though is that in schools in the wealthier neighborhoods, those kids end up all right because they were gonna be all right anyway. You know what if I mean? So struggling, they're they're getting the tutor, right? Because like so, school rather than being the equalizer that like you know idealists say it could be like oh everybody you know gets this free mm -hmm. public education it actually becomes where like class becomes cast yeah you know because like in instead of oh i've gotten an opportunity to like learn grow decide what i want to do learn skills like whatever it is over the course of my youth and young adulthood it's been i've been locked into this thing that's keeping me from doing things that could have been productive or interesting with my younger years. And now like what, you know, I might've started, here's me and here's this rich kid when we started school and now here's me and here's them like way, way up off the chart. Right. So it like, it, if anything, it, it exacerbates like class barriers that have already been there. It exacerbates um, the inequalities. Yeah. Yeah. It, like I said, it, it solidifies class into caste. And that's why I think the the stories that I'm so proud of where, you know, schools I've worked with, schools I support where like students have like, you know, gone on full scholarships to like super selective colleges, done well, great careers, making a lot of money and stuff like that. Those stories are real. They're the exceptions that prove the rule. Yeah. Right? Like, because it, it's... I, I've They're the flag you wave to... Exactly. And that's to, why... I know I'm like rambling now, but the last thing I, we talked a little bit before about like the nonprofit industrial complex. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yep. It's like, if we were actually making systemic changes, you like wouldn't even real, have to exist. Right. Or, or, <laughs> or, or the people that fund us would be threatened by us. Yeah, They're not threatened by a handful of like feel good stories. And that's not to dismiss the real accomplishments of mm -hmm. those individuals and what they've done. But it's like, again, it's the exception that proves the rule when I'm like, hey, you know, we saw this many people graduate and do blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, and that leaves 75,000 kids that did just in this neighborhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of shit. So, um, yeah, The Wire catches all that, man. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. And before we move on to season five, let's talk about Waylon. He has one appearance this season. Yep. And it is at Bubbles Rock Bottom. It is one of the last things that happens this season. And it's after fucking Sherrod. 
Yeah, so this guy has been fucking bubbles up, beating him up, robbing him, and he he tries to get Herc to do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's 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 Herc's informant, and right. uh, Herc is never there for him because he's the fucking worst. Man, I think I might. I think you might have. I think Ziggy. I hate him. I hate him. I I don't think he is my least favorite character because I think upon a re-examining of all of Herc's fuck-ups, he is not just the worst character like as a person in the yeah. whole show. Right. But he consistently reminds you he's he sucks ass and shouldn't should have never been a police officer. Should mm-hmm. I don't know what Herc should be doing. Pumping gas. Um, Teaching. He should be a teacher. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Herc fucks up and Bubbles decides to take it into his own hands. He s- slaps some cyanide in with, with some junk. And this guy who he's trying to get back in school, this kid, this very sweet kid, ends up taking it yep and bubs tries to hang himself after he goes in i guess after the death and they throw him in a rehab and the dude kima man kima's so disappointing in so many ways too yeah the fact that she won't even go in and see him she won't even go in and see him the 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 bubbles and charade storyline is like one of the darkest in an overall series that's very dark. I mean, yeah. part of it is what ultimately is the, you know, like you said, rock bottom, part of the impetus that finally gets bubbles clean and we find in season five, but he really loved this kid. Mm-hmm. He like really wanted to like treat him like a, like a, like a little brother, like a son almost. And like, wanted to protect him. So the fact that it, it's almost like a fucking like ancient Greek level tragedy of like, or like Shakespearean almost, right? Like that's how good this writing is that it's like, I was trying to get revenge on this enemy who was harming me, stealing from me, like harassing me every day. And the person who ended up getting hurt is the person I wanted pers- to protect the most. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Just brutal. Yeah. yeah, no, dude, like the fucking anguish that Bubs is in when he's just sitting in that chair mm-hmm. and then Waylon walks up to him and it's, dude, Reginald, I can't remember the actor's last name right now, but dude, yeah, the way he plays that scene, you don't hear anything because it's all shot from Kima's perspective outside the glass. Yeah. But he doesn't notice Waylon until he is like, a few steps from him yeah because he's so he's so checked out not because he's high but because he just doesn't want to be anymore yeah he doesn't want to be anymore and the way he just breaks down as soon as and the way steve just kneels down to him is so oh my god dude it's such a fucking powerful scene it's incredible and god in the conversation him and kima have is awesome it's just 
like we're we're gonna review a movie at some point soon that Steve's in, and he's not as good in it as he is in The Wire. He's funny in it, but I wish he had gotten to do more acting roles like this, like this, right? Where he's in his wheelhouse, totally. He's playing himself because I mean mm -hmm. he's great in uh, in Treme as well. I wish he had gotten to do more things like this and like Treme when he was younger. Because I mean, I guess I he still could act more. He still could for sure, but if he wanted to, he's way more limited um, on the roles he can get now. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Wild again to be like, yeah, this was twenty years ago. Andre Royo is the actor's name that plays Bubbles. Bubbles' character's name is Reginald. Reginald, Cousins. that's it. That's the actor it. is Andre Royo. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I, I'm, I was, I was picturing his IMDb photo, and I guess I, it always says Reginald underneath of it because I'm always looking at it whenever yeah. I'm looking at the <laughs> like Reginald Bubbles Cousins. Yeah, is, there it is. His character's name. Um, um yeah, Andre yeah, man, it's a crazy fucking sad way to end season season four. <laughs> yeah brutal all um, right you want to move on to season five let's do it i'm calling this season the lion news media <laughs> yeah man that's what's up dude fake it news. really is it's crazy um but uh all right let's just jump in and and get get snoop and chris out of the way let's get because uh, a lot fucking happens with them um they michael is their little boy they are raising him together essentially <laughs> to be a absolute killer. Mm -hmm. Um and uh yeah, it's it's more again of I think Chris Chris isn't able to control Marlo. Yeah. This season, like he was last season. Marlo is way too ambitious. He is way too greedy. He mm -hmm. is he is not satisfied with winning. He mm -hmm. is only satisfied with dominating. Yes. And he wants everyone. He, he like, he can't be satisfied with just doing better than everybody else. He needs everybody else to be doing worse. So he's fucking things up with the Greek and prop Joe. He has prop Joe killed, mm -hmm. which fucking sucks he gets cheese to betray him and it's just it's it's a whole fucking mess um but yeah so i'm trying to i'm trying to think right now because they have to lay low at one point because they really are just doing way too fucking much and then oh yeah and then when the when carcetti has to dissolve major crimes because for a minute they're like they're keeping marlo like completely out of the public eye mm -hmm. there because they still got this they end up in this situation with omar this season too so there's all these different things just marlo just gets he just causes so much of a mess mm -hmm. it's crazy yeah he i mean chris to clean it all up always yeah and i mean and that's ultimately what leads to jumping ahead like his paranoia and you know the way he's in everything is what ultimately leads him to you know 
put out the hit on Michael. Um, yeah. That he, he expects Snoop to carry out, right? Yeah, no, and it's 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 fucked, man. I just the uh the butchy thing really fucking bums me out because you don't ever you only meet this character like one time before when Omar's leaving. Right. You meet this butchy character and he's this blind man who acts as Omar's bank and he's so nice and he's such a sweet man. He's awesome. And then he is brutally tortured and killed. Yeah. By Snoop and Chris. For for no reason. I mean, that's the thing too. They could have just killed him. And that would have brought Omar back. Right. But they tortured the fuck out of him before they killed him. That's right. Jesus. I mean, it's a it's a reminder too of like as much as Snoop and Chris, they're likable characters. Yeah. They provide comic relief. They're also like inhuman, <laughs> yeah. know, like murderers, right? Um I love the when when Michael realizes that Snoop is gonna kill him and he goes to kill her 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 last line though is one of the how's my hair look mike how my hair look mike and he says you look good girl and then kills her it's um, so badass dude. i know it's so fucking badass like she dude. she i mean died like the queen that she is like yeah. you know instead of it like she didn't bet she was like impressed mm-hmm. that michael figured out yeah that she was going after him and then you know, looks at looks in the car mirror. <laughs> like, I'm my hair look, Mike. Um, God, dude, that part is awesome. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. Um, dude, the fucking balcony jump from Omar though is one of one of one of the most like if it wasn't for like how grounded the show always is, when you take little things like that out of context it is straight up looney tunes shit well there's which omar is a looney tunes character he is and there's more of that in season five than anywhere else yeah you know this is where you know we'll talk about it right but a few places where i'm like is this really the plot line we're going with um we're we're really we're jumping the shark right now we're all just gonna jump the shark right now yeah yeah so but I think I think it's fitting for them to jump the shark in some of the ways that they do in this, just to it just to make it like like completely apparent the point they're trying to make about especially when it comes to the the news and the yes the the sensationalizing of uh of all of the different things that that occur and how how there is no even having an adult in the room isn't enough to keep yeah. the kids from you know running the fucking school in mm-hmm. that situation um yeah the only the only like that that fucking balcony scene though i just i i wrote that down that is when he jumps off that balcony it's it's so crazy that <laughs> that's what he does dude I hadn't thought about that. Now I can like, I, I can't stop picturing it. Yeah. Cause it's like one of those things that happens and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like they're not low. <laughs> he just jumps off like a four story balcony. I know, man. Oh man. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk Omar moments at the end of this, but uh, 
uh, say the next person I've got written down because it's it goes in no real order in the last season because the last season is so batshit. Yeah. Um, I've got Dookie written down for the next character to talk about. Yeah, man. Let's go do because he he ties to Michael, who ties to Snoop and Chris. I think that's why. That's right. So, yeah, poor Dookie, man. He um too soft. Yeah. So he's you know he's he's dropped out of school after you know they tried to promote him early to high school. Um, been working for Michael. It's just he's just not cut out for this life. You know what I mean? He's he's not getting respect from Spider and Kennard. So Michael decides, you know what, man, let's get you off the corner and you just look after my brother, Bug. Which he's great at that. He's great at that, right? Um, And it's just, it also is just a good reminder too of just like, God, the way that the system and everything like that steals the innocence of these kids. You know what I mean? Because there are so many good moments, both in season four and season five, where like, they're just kids. Um, And that includes like, you know, going to Six Flags. That's <laughs> like the taking, next thing I had written down was the Six Flags trip. Yeah, like taking taking Bug to Six Flags, man, and just having some like being kids, having fun as a family. But Michael like, gets in trouble for that. He gets in trouble for leaving his corner, um, you know, unattended. And like, you know, Dookie gets beat up by Spider. He approaches you know, Cuddy to try to learn how to fight. Sucks, <laughs> Cuddy, at it. sucks at it. You know, Cuddy's like, man, you maybe you need to get out of here. And then is also like, well, shit, man, I can't get out of here either. So I get it. Yep. Um, Dookie's trying, like, he's just trying to find his place, right? Mm-hmm. He he tries. We see Poot for a yes, brief second. We because, see Poot working at like yeah, a finish line. Yeah, because Dookie's trying to find like a real job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, he tries to go get a job at the shoe store and Poot's like, you, you're too young. You can't apply yep. yet. Um, so after Michael kills Snoop, they go to hide out um, to like, I think Michael's aunt's house somewhere outside of Baltimore. And it's at that point too, when they come back after leaving Bug there uh, to keep him safe that Michael's like, it's just too dangerous for us to stay together. Um, so takes him, takes Dookie over to the, the junk man that he's been hanging with, working yeah. with, et cetera, for a while. Um, and it's a really, when Michael leaves him there, it's a really brutal scene because Dookie, again, has this moment, like he brings up like, remember the water balloons and stuff like that. Um, stuff that's not ancient history. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff that even in the the universe of the shows from like a year and a half ago, like you in, so, you get introduced to these kids and you like in any other coming of age story, these kids are still friends in forty years, right? And instead, it's like you know Michael's clearly just like he's despondent about all he's lost, and he's like, no, I don't remember. Leaves him there, Dookie. Um. There's a re- I, when he sees the junk man shooting up, he like turns around almost to be like, man, I can't do this. Let me stay with you. And Michael's already gone. Um, and that's the beginning of the end. He goes to Prez, who we only see very briefly this season too. But he's got a uh, beard. Yeah, Prez has a beard. Prez has made a, a, a very good teacher of himself. 
Um, again, the, the the fullest transformation of any character in the entire series. Um, ask him for money because he wants to says he wants to get back in school, get his GED. Prez is suspicious, but follows gives, him. Yeah, yeah, he gives money, follows him, and just as expected, gave the money to the junk man. Um, and at the end, you know, it had been implied before, but it's not until the very end that we see that Dookie is shooting up himself and actually addicted. Um, yeah, and we'll talk about it when we get to Waylon and whatnot at the end of this, but it's Dookie, as Bubbles leaves, Dookie comes in. Right. And takes his place. That's right. That's right. And it's and, also just a reminder too of like it wasn't that long ago that Bubbles was like a sweet innocent kid too, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, you can see it in everything about his character as an adult. Mhm. That's right. His 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 um aversion to violence, his his crafty little games and schemes. Bubbles was smart. <laughs> So smart, man. Bubbles is incredibly smart. (laughs) Yeah. And just it's you you gotta hope that Dookie if Dookie's lucky, he has the same path as Bubbles. And more so more likely than not, he uh, will die soon. Yeah, it's just man, fuck heroin. Yeah, Yeah, it's trash, dude. It is a so yeah, that is the that is the dark ending of our time with Dookie. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I think honestly, one of the reasons I wrote Dookie down earlier was because I just wanted to get it out of the way. Yeah, man. There's some redeeming factors. Bad. There's some redeeming factors about the this season, but there's also a lot that you know they weren't going to try to sugarcoat it or or wrap a nice bow around it. You know. Yeah, it feels bad. Feels bad, man. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do Daniels next. Yeah, let's do Daniels. Um, <clears throat> so, why did I write? Sorry, these notes are now so many weeks old, man. No, I've got uh, uh I've got pissed about major crimes being shuttered. Right. That's right. That's right. He's he's pissed about that. Um, he ends up like reassigning McNulty and Greggs to homicide um, because they're miserable under the current. Yeah major crimes guy so that's right yeah, so yeah it all just falls apart once they're gone and he's got freeman um and sidner investigating our our friend clay davis yep gets that <laughs> open back up yeah because carcetti won't shut it down yeah so he's carcetti is trying to fire burl yep um and has a plan because he's faking crime stats he's yeah he's just totally juking the stats um and, you know, has a plan for like, you know, Rawls being the acting commissioner, promoting Daniels, but that's temporarily because he wants to, you know, eventually make Daniels the commissioner. So Carcetti leaks a story and um, the fucking, what the shit ass reporter, uh, Templeton. God, he sucks so ma- much. Yeah, like makes up a quote in the story that makes it seem like Daniels, Daniels is the one who, yeah. Yeah, is is the cause of, you know, Burl having to leave. So, and Daniels has skeletons in his closet too. So he meets with Marla um, to like talk about it. And they're like, you know, 
you got to go to Burl directly um, to promise not to take his job to keep him from like airing out our shit. Right. Yeah. Um, and he does that. Burl has like really no interest <laughs> in talking to him, but I, I, what I remember is, I mean, this is where it all gets like, complicated he does end up getting the promotion to commissioner after you know the mess the killing the mess the killings that mcnulty was staging um yeah. and the you know the, the the bodies from the vacants are figured out which that's the yeah. shark jump we're thinking about right right exactly we may as well talk about what mcnulty does this season since yeah. we won't otherwise he fakes a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And and goes from goes from at first just like it being this kind of like almost justified noble thing. Let me get their attention because they're not giving enough money to the police. We can't investigate Stanfield. We're not getting overtime. And then like really gets into it, him and Freeman <laughs> over time and, and like invents this like sexual angle, puts bite marks on bodies, yeah. like, like wild shit. Like it's it, real wild. Dude. That's one of the ones where I'm like. <sighs> one of the few plot lines in the entire series where I'm like, I don't know, man. Um, well, I do love though, that by making this sensationalized story, someone kills some people like this. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> some like, mentally get, unwell person goes out and copycats it. You get the, yeah, right. You get it's, it's life imitates art. Right. Yeah. Um, but like all in the end is like, Daniels basically ends up, he promotes Carver to lieutenant. Which is one of the best scenes in the whole show. Yes, absolutely. One of the best scenes in the whole show. We'll talk about Carver in, in just yes. a second. And then he does eventually do what he had been talking about doing for like the last several seasons, which is um, starts practicing law. The last thing we see of him is that he is um, an attorney and actually, it shows him before Rhonda Perlman, um, who's now a judge, and that part is herself. so cute. Yeah, she's got to recuse herself because so their relationship. It really is. So the know. line she says, "Well, this is my first case, and I have to recuse myself." <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's awesome. Oh man, there was one thing I had. Uh, oh yeah, so um, so the city council president. Um, is uh, Ca uh Campbell. Mm -hmm. I I I start I started because I she's such a fucking scumbag. Yes, she's such a fucking scumbag. I started going. Wait a second. Who is this character supposed to be? And I search her character name and like what is her analog? And it's this the, Sheila Dixon is. Hmm. The, so the, here, I just went on this this journey of corrupt Baltimore mayors for a moment because that it's like historic. Every Baltimore mayor is a corrupt scumbag in some way, and I but I forget that like mayors are only like a single like like they they, they turn over so much. So like nobody's a mayor for like ten years or something. Right. And when I was looking her up, I was like, is this could this be the one? who got indicted for making the city buy her children's book and put it in the schools. 
because that was this woman, Catherine Pugh, who was a Baltimore mayor, like within the last 10 years, she got indicted recently, like in the last few years, because she put out a children's book and she bought like 100,000 of the books with the Baltimore school budget for the Baltimore city schools. But no, this Campbell woman is not a representative of Catherine Pugh. She's a representative of Sheila Dixon, who was indicted on taking gifts from developers. <laughs> there, yeah, they so they mixed it all together. So she's like that and... So it was like, oh, Clay I was, Davis I was thinking there, yeah. she was this one Baltimore mayor who was corrupt. It turns out, no, she was another one. <laughs> it was corrupt. <laughs> Which is, it's just awesome because like, I think people watch The Wire and to a certain extent, like, like don't realize exactly how accurate it is. Oh, yeah. Or that, like, Carchetti <laughs> is is Martin O'Malley. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he did become governor. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, which, yeah, speaking of Carchetti, let's 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 talk. Let's talk Carchetti. Let's um, he refuses the governor's bailout. He loses his boy, his uh, old dude who is in House of Cards. Who's like stood by him this whole time? Mm-hmm. He finally walks away. He's like, "You are just your ambition is just not helpful anymore. You're becoming." He becomes the person he like ran to not be mm-hmm. this season in every way, and uh, yeah, because he won't <laughs> take the assistance from the Republican. Uh, like the Republican governor, governor um, just because it won't be good for his political ambitions. Exactly. Um, oh, yeah. And then he um, he seeks federal assistance to help with the vacant murders. But the Republican U.S. attorney demanded him investigate uh, Davis. Right. Which he was like, well, no, if I let you investigate Davis, that's going to make the Democrats look bad. And then it really like that part just I'm like, yep, this is this is how it is. This, this is, is how, how these is, people man. just keep keep committing crimes. It's because you 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 ally yourself with people who are scum. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it just becomes like, you know the 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 scumbaggery is so normalized that i think you're not even conscious of it most of the time you know yeah like it like to carchetti it seems normal to be like well i mean i can't take a bailout from republican cuz then what is it going to mean when i run for governor and not thinking about like what is this going to mean for all of the children. actual human <laughs> beings in baltimore the children in schools everyone how they're going to suffer because of this right like yeah, and then to the same effect, oh, I can't let this Republican investigate my Democratic colleague because it'll make it'll make the Democrats look like we're we're scum. Exactly. I, I did the last thing I wrote about Carcetti uh, is his whole plot ends up working because this country is awful and he is governor at the end. That's right. Yeah, he 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 got what he wanted, and I don't hate Carcetti. <laughs> I mean that's. It's it's I honestly you know we talked about John Edwards we talked about you know Martin O'Malley who clearly at least partially Carcetti is based on but like that's the thing they're not they're not as at least in the in the parts of the characters we see they're not as like 
morally repugnant as like a Clay Davis, even though they are just as like fucking conniving. If, if anything, at least Clay Davis is fucking honest about like what his crimes, what the fuck he's up to. Right? Yeah. He brags about his shit. Yeah. Um, Carcetti's trying to pretend like that's not what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, uh, he, I mean, he's, he's neoliberalism incarnate like he is totally espouses these these liberal values this high-minded uh like attitude of you know human rights and justice and and all the things that we think we are as americans but in fact we're all just fucking cutting deals in the back room like if you're in power you're cutting deals in the back room those all those fucking values go right out the fucking window the second the second your power's threatened and uh and yeah it's shit but uh let's talk about the bunk the bunk man good police all, all reliable bunk he's good police um so you know he's still in homicide um and i think he is when he realizes his main storyline in this season is when he realizes what McNulty shaking is his doing, shaking his damn head yeah like <laughs> the tampering with bodies trying to to create this narrative of a serial killer bunk is disgusted um and Bunk tries to get Freeman to talk some sense into McNulty. And then it <laughs> backfires on him because Freeman's like, you know, we could actually, he, he Freeman not only likes McNulty's plan, but wants to push it even further. Yeah. Um, so Freeman says namaste. Yeah. Like, so Bunk just kind of goes back to trying to focus on the, you know, the Stanfield murders um, and like, just doing police work, doing actual police work. Um, finally gets a DNA match for, uh, for Chris, um, on an unrelated murder, Yep. but ends up, you know, delaying that case because they want to keep the wire open on Stanfield. And then the last thing you see is, is him and Greg's working another homicide and just sort of like bunk is a, is a police detective through and through. He's and, a steady hand through the yeah. whole show. Yep. Even though he's a piece of shit, just like McNulty in so many ways, uh, he is he is not he is unwilling to cross lines. Yes, there are that certain other lines people he are, are are willing to. Um, I think it just makes sense to talk about Freeman next because yep. they're they're so tied. Um, like this is the re-disillusionment of Freeman this season <laughs> where he was disillusioned years ago and then he gets this hope that things are going to change and then immediately is just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just willing to do whatever it takes to mm-hmm. to make this happen. And we get, you know, with him going rogue with McNulty and jumping on, but he just, he wants Davis so bad. So bad. He wants Davis so bad and the the shit with the fucking with the the um the state's attorney and mm-hmm. how he they can take the case federal for for Davis, but he wants the glory. Right. He wants to prosecute Davis, not willing, not knowing that he is a minnow about to get in the cage with a fucking shark. Yeah. If they would have actually brought the charges they could have at the federal level because Davis lied on a mortgage application. They might've actually had a chance of bringing him down, but because he insisted on prosecuting it locally played right into Davis's hands. He was never going to lose in Baltimore. Nope. 
Nope. God, dude, the way he gets up and like shakes out his jacket or whatever, it's mm-hmm. so fucking awesome. He's yeah. such a showman, dude. That guy yeah. rocks. Yeah. I, I I love him. Have you seen uh The Five Bloods? No. The um fuck. Um uh the Spike Lee joint uh for Netflix. I know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen it. It's fantastic. He's it's it. one of the last uh Chadwick Boseman movies, I think. Mm. He's uh he's amazing in it. <laughs> I gotta watch it. Fuck. Um it was I think it was the first thing we watched that he was in after he died. Um but it's got a crazy cast too. Um I want to say there's a couple of people from the wire. Bunny Colvin might be in it too. I can't remember now. Um I'll look it up when, when you're talking about your next character. <laughs> um because I definitely want to uh finish uh talking about Freeman. Um but yeah. Yeah, Freeman just uh sorry, I'm just I'm I'm, I'm reading. <laughs> oh, the illegal wiretap. I forgot yeah. about that. He, they he, uh yeah, he they get the, 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 the one thing Herc does that's good ends up being still bad. <laughs> Cause you can't illegally get a wiretap right. from somebody. Herc realizes that since Marlo is Levy's client he can get his number and then they illegally wiretap him and yeah just and that ends up backfiring and yeah. that's how marlo ends up back on the streets because they because levy has that fucking yeah. snitch in the in the courtroom in the or court. in the courthouse that <clears throat> that tells them that that the the evidence was required under dubious uh dubious shit um yeah, yeah i uh I will say so. All that bullshit that eventually leads to McNulty, and I want to talk about my favorite McNulty scene before we jump into the next character. Okay, what's up? McNulty's funeral, dude. It's such a good scene. Oh man, that is my favorite Pogue song now too. Dude, the body of an American. It is. They really perfect Irish wake. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. It is a wonderful scene. It is a feel is maybe the most feel good scene in the whole show, dude. I, I mean, McNulty's that, funeral. McNulty's dude. I'm a freeborn man of the USA. Like seeing fuck. all of them singing that song together is just so precious and cute. It um, really is. It really humanizes all these uh, all these deadbeat cops. I know in a way that uh, that I hate uh-huh. and also love. Very well, that's much. A, Right, ancestors struggled immensely. Um, you know, from coming, leaving famine in Ireland to come over here, so uh, you could be a cop in a in a random northeastern city, mm-hmm. Baltimore, New York, Boston. Take your pick; it could be any of them. All the same. Um, this is what you do here. <laughs> um, yeah, fucking awesome. Um, that that scene just rocks. And I want to say, dude, when we watched this the first time, I wasn't familiar with that Pogue song yet. Like, mm. I was always, like, Hell's Ditch, um, I, I, Rum Sodomy and the Lash. I wanted to yeah. say those are the only ones that I ever really listened to. And I was unfamiliar with that song. So I didn't even clock that it was the Pogues the first time I watched it. And then I've been obsessed with that song for, like, two years now. Dude, and I re, re I just YouTube rewatched that scene the other day, and I went, "Oh, this is just fucking perfect." It has so many good lines. 
Slancha Joe and Amer and an Aaron Go, my loves in America. Um, fuck, it's yeah. so good. Um, all right, let's uh let's talk about Carver because I really want to. And uh, from one feel good scene to another, um, yeah, he's sergeant in charge of Western District. Um, he's having trouble with his subordinates, but man, they are just acting like a younger him. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be too mad at him. It's it's awesome. I think the way he deals with them is uh is so is he he leads by example the way Daniels does with the ethics and creativity that Colvin has. Yes. And I I just Carver's my favorite character, I'll just say that. I, I think you say Presbo has the most full arc. I think Carver might have just the same full arc as as Presbo. Yeah, Carver's right there. Absolutely. I that that scene when he when Daniels promotes him on his way out is that's it, that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. Yeah, it makes me feel good. It completes the arc. Yeah, mm -hmm. it makes me feel good when when. He, when Daniel says, at least I got to do this before I left, or at least I got to do one good thing before I left. Like that to me, him saying that to Carver after having such a hard time with him as a kid, even though it's only been a few years, he was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when they met, he was a, 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 a teenager ruffian. And now he is a full um responsible adult and it's it's just it's a wonderful scene and i just that's the best thing carver does this this season is just be him <laughs> i love it i love yeah, it yeah it's great um i i the only thing the only thing cuddy does this season he tries to convince dookie dookie to get out of baltimore yeah and, and yeah and then <clears throat> you, you already said it while attempting to train him admitting he also doesn't know a way out yep yeah, I feel like we 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 hit a lot of folks just in talking about their interactions with other characters. Um, I think we should round out Bunny. Um because you know, he he ends season four <clears throat> having, you know, convinced Weebay to let uh Naaman live with him. Yes. And his wife. And so yeah, and we only we only see Bunny one time the whole season attending yeah. Naaman's high school debate competition. Debate. Which I mean, is just perfect for Naaman. It's perfect for Naaman. And it again it, it shows that example of like, yo, Naaman, Dookie, Michael, Randy, all four of them end in such different places. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh yeah. But they all like <clears throat> through no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. through just like circumstance you know like who who goes where who gets what um and Naaman is yeah he he gets to live in a stable household with foster parents that love him and care about him and and make sure that he's safe and secure and has all his needs taken care of and he thrives you know what i mean yeah. and like so i mean your point though like mm -hmm. the you you get to say like oh this many kids made it to graduation yeah what about the other 70 Exactly. So he's the he's the feel good story, but it just shows like there's not enough Bunny Colvins to adopt every kid. So 
this doesn't take anything away from what it means for Naaman in his life, but it means it's not going to change reality for the, for the majority. Right. Yeah. Um, but in this one, you know, scene where he shows up, Carchetti shows up to the debate too. Colvin is not happy to see him there. Um, and, and Carchetti walks up to him outside to try to like apologize for not backing him on Amsterdam. And, you know, it's to our conversation earlier, almost, almost like expecting Bunny to be like, to, to like get it. To be yeah. Like, you know, I couldn't, you know, I, as a politician, like I, I couldn't, you know, run, run with that. Like politically, mm -hmm. I, I supported it, but I couldn't say I supported it. And it's like, he expects Bunny to be like, I get that. And instead, he tells him to fuck up. Yeah. He's like, he won't <laughs> shake his hand. And the line is, he says, well then Mr. Mayor, I guess there's nothing more to be done. And, leaves. Awesome. and I think it's, it's just a, a good reminder of like, no, Carchetti, this is not fucking normal. Like you yeah. were basically just like, you, you just said the quiet part out loud to Colvin, which is, uh, yeah, my, my words and actions don't match my beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like I lack integrity. I do yeah. whatever I think is going to suit politically rather than what I think is right. Yeah. Um, I would love to... to do the right thing. I see what the right thing is to do, <laughs> but, uh, if it's not, if it's going to hurt me, I can't. Yeah. And Colvin rightly tells him to go fuck himself and is like, I'm not going to, you know, won't, won't give him the, 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 Carcetti was clearly looking for like some reassurance that it was okay. Yeah. He wanted and, to feel better about himself. Right. And Colvin was like, not shaking his hand and yeah. was like, I guess there's nothing more to be done then. Um, so I, I brief, but very powerful appearance in season five from him. I love that for him. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great send off for bunny. I it's it, from, from his introduction in one episode of a season being disgusted by violence to his refusal to shake the mayor's hand for screwing him over on a pretty as good as you can get solution to violence the the best <laughs> they'd ever had that yeah. like real reduction in yeah. crime yeah and uh and yeah it's just a consistent like ideologically consistent bunny call <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Through line the whole show. Awesome. Um, so now we're going, we're just going with how how the last time we see some of these characters. Um in the ending montage, we see Weebay mm -hmm. hanging out with Chris in prison. There just they are. Two like fearsome individuals. Yes. Having a conversation about God fucking knows what. <laughs> like you look at them in prison and you think they're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're going to be fine. <laughs> Nothing bad's. They're they're both serving life. They're going to be fine. Nothing bad's happening to them in prison. They're probably going to have it better than most people, honestly. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of being. Not ad fucked with, ad ad yeah, and, and like <laughs> adapted to survive that. Then yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get into into the Whalen and Bubble saga, the Randy thing, yeah. So Bunk visits the group home to follow up on Lex's murder from the season before, 
and Randy is completely unresponsive and even shoves another kid as he shoves leaves. a kid out of his way. Yeah. And just shows like, <clears throat> I mean, Randy got completely betrayed by that system. And it's amazing too, that even though like, you know, a bunk and a, and a Herc are very different characters, mm -hmm. like, <clears throat> yo, talking to the cops is what got him like into, into this into this in the first place labeled a snitch put into a place that's not safe and so the little kid is all gone now he had to become this fucking monster to survive oh and he's not little know. anymore at all yeah he either. ain't little at all so but like the innocence is all gone and it's sort of like you yeah you 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 used me as an informant and then betrayed the promise that comes with that which is to protect me um carver tried but it was out of his hands by then. So like, yeah, Bunk or anybody else shouldn't be surprised when Randy tells him to fuck off. Um, and the thing about Randy, and I can't remember where I saw this or read this, but David Simon was asked at one point, someone said like, so like after everything's said and done, who do you think would be in charge of Baltimore now? This was like years after the wire ended and like, like thinking about like where things would have progressively gone. He said, Oh, Randy's in charge. Wow. Yeah. Like you couldn't tell. He was, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, Randy's Randy's he's, he's replaced Marlo. <laughs> Just matter of factly. He was yeah. like, Randy, Randy replaces Marlo. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, I just want to give one honorable mention just because of it being his, his uncredited dad, but his dad, when Slim Charles shoots cheese in the head, that part fucking rocks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that part is so fucking sick. Slim Charles is low-key one of my favorite characters in the show. Yep. Yeah. He is fucking awesome, dude. It was a it was a a tough call to not have him on the list. Um well he doesn't do enough. Right. That that's that was part of my thinking too. He doesn't do enough, but he is so fucking cool. I agree. He is so fucking cool. And um, fucking uh, so before we get into the Wayland thing, I just want to um, I just want to give I don't remember what season it happens in. And that's why I didn't even try to peg it in whatever season it was uh, or think to even look my favorite Omar scene. Mm -hmm. It's not the testimony, even though that's probably arguably the best one. It's not you come at the king. You best not miss. It's not that it's the scene when he goes out for breakfast and he accidentally robs several stash houses. He goes to put his gun in his sweatpants, but it's too heavy. Yeah. yeah. So he goes, uh, I guess I'll just leave my gun. I'm just going to get like Cheerios or fucking frosted flakes or whatever the fuck he's walking out for. And just him walking down the streets, people throw money and drugs out the windows of and he just picks it up and just just when they see him, yeah, just takes it because just seeing Marlowe's enough for people to say, "I'm just gonna give up all my drugs and money right now and just hope he doesn't kill me." That is my favorite Omar scene in the whole fucking show. <laughs> it is straight up Looney Tunes. It's Dude. awesome. They have no honey nut. Um, <laughs> dude, so good. It's fucking awesome. Um, shout out. But yeah. Um. So Waylon. And bubbles this season is like we'll get into these scenes, but 
we're introduced to him and he's in he's he's in recovery now yes he's 15 months clean but he is not actually sharing yeah he's he getting was... up and doing the comedy routine but Waylon is like disappointed in him because he's not like actually confronting his like moral inventory yeah that he's supposed he... to do he won't talk about Sherrod. He won't talk about Sherrod. And that's, I love that scene so much. The way Steve grabs, or the way Waylon grabs Bubbles and mm -hmm. like, like gets serious with him. It's so fucking, it's so real, dude. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. That happens in the second episode. Mm -hmm. And then episode five, Bubs visits Waylon at work about getting tested. And then he says, give me 10 minutes so he doesn't have to go alone. Mm -hmm. Just the, just willing to leave work. That's what's up. Just to be with his, his sponsee who needs sponsee, him. Yep. And that's, that's awesome. But dude, the fucking, when, when he finds out he doesn't have it, mm -hmm. and knowing Waylon does. Right. And Waylon is so much less deserving of it. To bubbles, mm -hmm. doesn't know all Waylon's fucking skeletons, but he does not think he's worthy of being clean, right? And that part is so fucking uh. The, he uh the line he says is shame ain't worth as much as you think. Let it go. That's like and, <laughs> life mantra, man. Dude, yeah, no, mm. man. Every every one of every one of Steve's lines in the fucking show, fucking rocks. It's it's such a he has such a good arc of being there for Bubbles, even though he literally isn't there for an entire season. Yeah, <laughs> entire season, entire two seasons. He's not in season two yeah. or three at all. No, not in two or three at all. Yeah. So That's yeah, right. so he's out. But yeah, I. uh so episode nine, Bubs finally shows up and tells the Sherrod story, even though he doesn't say he's responsible for it. <laughs> he just talks about him actually losing, which is enough. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's enough. Um, and uh, I, I wrote Bubs finally shows up to tell the Sherrod story. Waylon finds fi finally finds out his real name in that episode. Yeah, that was funny, too. And then I wrote, I'm fucking crying watching this scene over again. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, dude, the uh, the line from this this one is, uh, ain't no shame in holding on to grief as long as you make room for other things too. That's right. <clears throat> I, had, I had that one written down, man. Waylon has so many of the best lines of the whole series, like just yeah. for appearing as briefly as he does. And I'm curious, like you said, is are these written scenes or is Steve out there riffing on I just gotta, I recovery gotta believe, shit? I gotta believe at least some of this was improvised. I think so. It's yeah. it all feels too natural and it also all feels too much like something Steve would say on stage. That's right. Yeah. That's why, you know, he said it himself. Like it required no acting on my part. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, but yeah, so and then episode 10, um, Bubbles and Waylon meet to go over the news story. This is the last time we see him is them sitting on this bench. And him, he's almost like wanting, I think, Waylon to say, like, don't put this out. Right. He he because because again, Bubbles needs to 
he's he's okay with all the bad stuff being out there but he feels like the the article is making him look right too good like he doesn't deserve to have this yeah. light shined on him yeah without understanding of how like important of a story this is to tell just so the people walking down the street can look at the people on the corner and or the people in the alley and look at them as a human being right rather than just another person who just made all the bad decisions mm -hmm. and that's why they ended up there to not understand that like they're actual human beings who like are capable of good as like even in the darkness they're capable of helping people like he was with Shrod. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It's just, I think this, that scene is like a great picture of their friendship. It isn't over. This keeps going for both of them. Like recovery is lifelong and they're recovering and, and they are, and they're recovering life, not recovering from an injury. They're retaking their lives back from something that tried to tear them away together. That's what I wrote about that. That's beautiful, man. Like legit. That's awesome. Like I found a lot in how ordinary their last scene is together. Yeah. It's not like they don't, they're not saying goodbye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not because there's, because there's no goodbye for any of these characters in this show. Yeah. Except for McNulty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, especially because the, for, <laughs> for Waylon and Bubbles as part of their ongoing recovery, it'll probably be like, I'll see you at the meeting tomorrow. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. I really like the the show's worth watching for so many reasons. And I was I was really happy the that Copaganda series I was watching on YouTube where the guy went in and like watched like talked about the wire. It really made me feel better that he like gets the end and is like, it is copaganda, but it's copaganda from like a reformist view. It's a copaganda from like a this is what police should be. Right. And it's a critique. It's a critique of, of police. Yes. Um, not a promotion of the bad parts of it. It's not uh it's not blue bloods. Um and uh I don't know. I just I really I really hope everybody had fun listening to us talk about the wire. This was up. I've had a lot of fun talking <laughs> to you. <laughs> I have too, man. And it's again, it's like if you would asked me before this, I would have told you it was, you know, one of my favorite tv series or like it like honestly like pieces of dramatic art of all time um even having not rewatched any of it in a very long time and i think both the preparation for these episodes and the chance to really dig in and talk about it through a character lens with you it has not it, it could have easily been like made me sick of it it was actually the opposite it, it, it was like wow this is even more brilliant than i had thought before me right? too you know laying out all the characters especially the way we picked them from the criminals to the politicians to the cops i think the like i'm not fucking rubbing myself on the back right like i'm not patting myself on the back right now i this was just the idea i had was like i wanted to make sure we talked about the lesser talked about stories and characters yeah. in the wire mm -hmm. but through the ones we picked it was so it became so evident to me how little difference so many of them have from one another. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's hard to piece that together over the course of five seasons and all these mm -hmm. hours and hours and hours of material. Right. Um, 
because <clears throat> most people will never get to do like this level of an analysis of a show like this. So yeah, it's, you know, I've talked to some friends about it. Like the wire is often like that poster child for prestige television. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways, you know, like it makes people roll their eyes or whatever, but like, again, as I go back to it, I, I it's almost like the way when I, when we talk about music, I'm like the hits are the hits for a reason, man. Like yeah. this, the, the the cultural impact of this is still standing, and there are still, especially younger people, just discovering the wire right now because it still has this type of staying power. Like it is that good from a writing perspective, from a character perspective, from an the way acting it's act, and acted for some of the most <laughs> brilliant performances, and just like you know, so much of the cultural zeitgeist, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Um, it's still incredibly relevant, still incredibly relevant. Right. So, um, yeah. Shout out the wire, shout out, um, end it in Queensway, Baltimore city, hardcore and shout out the Steve Earl doing this, the, the theme song. And that's what's up. The, the, and the, we'll the, talk about that song next episode. We'll talk about that song. The worst of five different versions of down in a hole that we get to hear, <laughs> Um, comes from arguably the greatest musician that did any of those versions. So <laughs> it's a funny thing, man. But yeah, we'll we'll be back at you with some Steve material next time. And um, for the first time ever in the history of Hardcore Troubadour podcast, we will be recording in the same room. Um, We're going to get spoiled. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully it sucks. But, yeah, hopefully it sucks. And I'll be like, I don't actually want to hang out in person. This is much better via the internet. Um. <laughs> All right, friends, take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.